be on it. level to something. <sighs> Hi. It, feel, it feels like I haven't been up here for ages, but it's literally been a couple of weeks, so. <clears throat> yep, ages for me. <sighs> I got my motorbike license on Monday morning. So, my mum's not happy, my wife's not happy, but I'm happy, so, and that makes them happy. No, that was Lisa's thing, so I, I bought the motorbike like six months ago, I sold my car, got a cheaper car and the motorbike uh, with that money, but I had the conversation with Lisa on the phone and, and she's like, well, I don't, I don't want you to, but, but I know it'll make you happy, so that's why she said yes. So, because she's a good wife. Um, but, uh, yep. But the kids have asked, and I was like, no, that would be one step too far for the kids to be riding on the back. So, it'll just be me. But uh, I have utilized every opportunity to jump on that motorbike this week. I've done about 350Ks since Monday. Um, I've, I've blown, like, I think, like $11 on fuel. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I'm going to get a second job just to pay. No, not really. Um, so it is uh, significantly more fuel efficient. But um, here we go. That's been my week. I'm sure there's been other important things that have happened, but uh, nothing more important than that. <sighs> here we are. I'm going to try. I'm going to try and speak for a short amount of time, and I'm going to try and speak uh, slowly. So. Miracles do happen, people. So, um, yeah, that's good. Hey, I wanted to talk to you uh, this afternoon about partnering with God. Oh, there it is. If you haven't, how long has that been up there for? You already knew? Okay. Yeah. So that's a famous painting. It's called The Creation of Adam. I think it's Michelangelo. Is that someone would know? Um, but uh, I was just pointing, it actually came out of conversation with, uh, with Lisa yesterday. So Lisa's doing some... Uh, extra study uh, in relation to uh, homeschool and the philosophy of homeschooling that uh, we utilize with our kids. And, uh, but we're just having a, a bit of that conversation uh, about, um, you know, the grace of God, the power of God, the working of God, and then our work um, that comes from ourselves. And, uh, and I guess this idea really just touching on uh, what, what role does God play in our lives and what role do we play in our lives? Uh, and I think... Um, we can tend to kind of swing in a pendulum between it's all God or it's all me. Um, and yet I think there's a, there's a beautiful balance and a partnership that God desires to have with us when it comes to the work that he has for us to do. Um, when we swing, you know, in the pendulum to, well, God does everything, then the danger can be that we become a little bit lazy and, and sluggish, and uh, and we can be, you know, disobedient because we're actually not pressing in to uh, do what God's calling us to do. 
But then the other danger is we go to that other end where it becomes all about our strength and our power and we end up striving for various reasons to do all that God has for us to do or to, to bring about change and God is left out of the picture. But partnering with God, and I've written here, it's where the hands of God and the hands of humanity meet. Uh, and that's the reflection in the picture there is that there is this uh, beautiful uh, synergy that God, I think, invites us into as followers of Jesus where uh, his work and our work come into alignment. Uh, and we are not to be kind of, you know, lazy sitter and, oh, God's got it sorted, but also to recognize that striving in our own strength uh, will wear us out very, very quickly, um, which is, I'm sure some of you uh, know all about. Colossians Chapter 3, verse 23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord and not for human masters. And this is the Apostle Paul uh, talking in particular to people who are maybe just working a job and they have a master, some, a, a boss that is over them. Uh, and he's saying, look, you might look at this, and this is um, what they call the Protestant work ethic. Um, but essentially it's to say, look, you're not working a job for a person but to view every act of work that you do as unto the Lord. So you might say, well, I have a boss or I have a supervisor. I have people that are above me in my work. Or maybe even if someone is self-employed, you say, well, I'm working for, you know, for my clients. I'm working for you know, a paycheck at the end of the day. But the Apostle Paul's encouragement is that, no, no, don't, don't focus on the fact that you're working for a, for a person or working for a paycheck, but consider everything that you do as bringing glory to God and being a work that God has appointed and established for you to do. Um, and that certainly will change your perspective, not just in, um, in what you do maybe, but how hard that you work. Because maybe you've got a boss that isn't a great boss, um, you know, maybe you've, you've got clients that aren't great clients, or for whatever reason, um, you, you find yourself, you know, well, actually, I, I don't really want to work hard for these people. Not you. You've got a great boss, Amy. Um, um, but when we, when we consider, actually, well, I'm, I'm not, I'm, that's not the only, re the ultimate reason that I'm doing the work that I'm doing is for the Lord. And so then I want to work at it in the best possible way and give it the, the fullness of my energy um, because it pleases God when we work hard. If you read through Proverbs, you'll see scripture after scripture, you know, talking about not being a sluggard and not being lazy, but to be diligent and disciplined and faithful and to put your hand, uh, you know, to the plow in a, in a metaphorical sense, um, or maybe you're a farmer and you literally, you're probably still not putting your hand to a plow. Anyway, um, you're driving a tractor or something, but... Uh, but, you know, like it's, it's, it's considering that oh, this is actually not just a job that I'm working, but everything that I'm doing is unto the Lord. And that's when it comes to parenting, when it comes to friendship, when it comes to your own personal discipline and relationship to God, is that we are, we're doing everything for the glory of God. We're doing everything for the Lord. So everything that we're putting our energy into is for God and for His glory. Because the reality is following Jesus will take hard work. It will cost you. And again, as I spoke on a few weeks ago when we looked at um, maybe a more fuller understanding of what the gospel is, and that is that invitation into the, uh, 
restoration of all things that God is about. So God is continuing to work in history. God is continuing to expand and establish his kingdom on the earth. God is continuing to tear down strongholds and displace, you know, uh, powers, heavenly powers to establish his kingdom on the earth. So God is continuing to be at work. And when we become a Christian, when we become a disciple of Jesus, we are invited into that work. We're not just given a free ticket to one day go to heaven, but we're actually given a commission to partner with God to bring heaven to earth. So it's actually, I'm signing up for work. I'm not signing up to get out of work. I'm signing up to work. I'm saying yes to working with Jesus and for Jesus. As much as I'm signing up to sonship, I'm also signing up to servanthood. The word servanthood, the word in the Greek is the word doulos, and it can, it's also uh, translated as slave. So we become slaves to God. No longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. Slave that I'm a slave to Jesus. Now, does he treat me like a slave? No, he treats me like a son, but I serve him like a slave. So it doesn't shift my identity. I know who I am as a son of God, as a child of God, but I serve him as though he is my master and I am his servant. But it's going to take hard work, and I think maybe we're, we're, we're in our journey with Jesus where we've been presented the gospel in a way which has kind of limited the cost on me and put all of the cost on Jesus. And the reality is all of the cost of my salvation was upon him, but all of the cost of working out my salvation is upon me. It's upon us. We must work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Who's going to do that? No, we do. And then, then it says, and why? Because it is God who works in us to will and to work for his good pleasure. So it's the delight of God to do that, but we work out our salvation in partnership with the Holy Spirit to bring about the purposes and the plans of God. And that comes down to my personal transformation into the likeness of Jesus. It comes down to how I live and I lead and I serve God in everything that I do. But it's going to be hard work. And we live in a culture that despises, in some cases, despises hard work. Um, it longs and looks constantly for comfort. It's why we have, you know, so, so much addiction in our culture. And I'm not talking just about substance abuse. I'm talking about food, shopping, whatever, like all the, you know, the nicer types of addiction and not just all of the bad, you know, the yuckier ones in society. But it's addiction in any form. It's idolatry in multiple forms. But we, we have those things because actually we're seeking refuge in that to avoid not just pain, but to avoid the consequence of our behavior. We seek refuge in those false places uh, to avoid even the cost of change. I think it's in a Jason Upton song. He says, you know, everyone wants, it's almost like everyone wants that resurrection life, but no one's willing to roll away the stone, you know, and actually come out of the tomb and, and go through that, the, the process. You know, everything in the kingdom is, there is a process and it's death unto life. Uh, there is no resurrection without crucifixion. 
It's just the pathway of the kingdom. Um, and so everything that we do, oftentimes there is a process of death before life comes in what we're doing. So when we say yes to Jesus, we're saying yes to death. But, but in a way, we're not. We're saying yes to life. And Jesus says, it's so good. He said, you've said yes to life. But how we get there, it's like, where do you want to go? Oh, I want to, let's go to Hawaii. It's awesome. We're going to have to go through a few other places to get there, though. We're not just going to jump you from one place and then plop you there. To get to paradise is going to take a journey um, of maybe through some less than savory places. Mm, savory. I'm hungry. <laughs> I didn't have lunch. Looking forward to pizza. So this idea of work, I mean, we, we all know the principle of sowing and reaping. Where again, I think we, 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 love, we love the gift aspect of God. Oh, he gives good gifts to his children. Absolutely, he does. Completely free. No, nothing that you have done. Salvation is all a gift from God. And yet there is, at the same time, sowing and reaping that is hardwired into the ways of his kingdom and the way that it works. So that which you sow, you will reap. So you sow good things, you will get good things as a harvest out of that. Now God makes it rain on the righteous and the unrighteous, he says. So he'll, he'll, he'll provide what we need whether or not we are good or bad, he's just a good father. If my kids are naughty, I don't, I don't withdraw basic things from them. I don't, you know, I don't take their bed away. I don't stop feeding them food. I don't stop providing them with clean water. And, you know, I don't, I don't withdraw those basic things. Well, they're still a, a part of the family and they might have a consequence, but it's not going to be those basic needs that they require. And the same thing with God. I think it's uh, Bill Johnson who says, in the kingdom, God will provide everything that you need, but he won't automatically provide everything that you desire. And it's his desire for you, but when we have a desire for more of God, that's when our work comes into partnership with his work. And so oftentimes I think we can live in lack in our relationship with God because we're actually not willing to do the work to see the fruit that we desire. And we genuinely desire, I genuinely desire a deeper relationship with Jesus. I genuinely do. I, God, I just want more of your power, Holy Spirit. And, you know, I want to, I want everyone that I pray for, I want to see healed. Or every time I pray and I, every time I open my Bible, I just get revelation and I feel your presence every time I worship. I want that. But the reality is that's a relationship that gets developed. That's not a click your fingers, here it is. Now, I think in times in our journey with God, he can give us those moments where it's his grace pours out and we have an encounter and it's amazing and it's like my life has changed. Early on in my journey with Jesus, I used to have that. Like I'd go to a conference or some event and you just have this amazing time with God so amazing and you'd come away and you'd like this is it i'm i just i'm i know i'm never going to sin again for the rest of my life and uh, and i know i'm just going to i'm just going to read the bible like 10 hours a day every day and i'm just going to be in constant prayer this is just it's going to be amazing i know this this is it 
I thought last time, no, but this is it. And a week later, you're back in your old patterns and your old rhythms and your old ways and, you, and it feels like nothing's really changed. And then you start to question, well, was that a real encounter? I think absolutely it was, but what you encounter is you encounter God's grace, you encounter God's power, God's movement, you encounter all of God in spite of you. But what the Lord is doing, he's, this, that scripture, you know, taste and see that the Lord is good. He's giving you a taste of what it looks like to live in partnership with him. But then it requires from us the, the give back and the pressing in and the entering into and the hard work to establish those ways in our life. So then we can have a dry season then we have an amazing encounter. And it's awesome and it's great. But again, it's a taste of things to come. It's a taste of what it's like to live in deep, intimate fellowship with the Holy Spirit. But I know, I know if I don't work hard on my relationship with Jesus, it starts to fade. It's just the way that it is. If I don't work hard on my relationship with my wife, it just starts to fade. Does she stop being my wife? No, I hope not. Uh, doesn't mean I'm doing something bad. I'm just not moving forward. I could have in my relationship with God. So it's not like I'm doing something bad, but doing all of this bad stuff and, you know, stuck in all of this sin and yet there's no movement forward. And so God doesn't break covenant with us, but there's no kind of real life in that covenant relationship. And God has a responsibility to sustain his end, and he is faithful to do that. But equally, I have a responsibility to be faithful back. When God invites into covenant, that's two-way. You know, when you share marriage vows, it's not just the husband doesn't just share his vows as to what he will do, and the wife shares her vows, and oftentimes they're, they're the same. It's like, I'm, I'm vowing to be this to you, and you're vowing to be that back to me. And we have an agreement and a covenant and a partnership that we're both going to be working on the same thing together. But marriage and relationships get really difficult when one person is upholding their end of the covenant and the other person's not. And I want you to know, if you're feeling lack in your relationship with God, I don't believe that he is not upholding his side of the covenant. I believe he's a really good husband. <laughs> he is faithful. He never lacks in provision. And yet we can lack in what we are doing to journey in our relationship with him. And it can't just be words. We can't just say, well, I said yes to you, Jesus. I prayed a prayer and I went to an altar call and I did all of those things. And so where's, you know, what's the ongoing aspect of it? You know, like a, a gym membership won't make you fit. I know, I have one. <laughs> I, got, I play indoor soccer, so that's my, my main kind of fitness um, outlet, and I love it. Um, but as part of that, as the captain, I got a free gym membership, and so I had the paperwork there, and, and it took months, and I was like, I, I sh I'll, I'll do it, just because, you know. It'll be good, and uh, go to the gym and all that sort of stuff, and uh, and so I did. So I went and signed up. I got my little tag, and uh, that was probably two months ago, and uh, and I've managed to get there once uh, in two months. So if you've noticed a change in my physique, um, it's it's a miracle because 
It's not, um, yep, that's it, yeah. Um, I, I'm, just, I'm just embracing my dad bod, I don't mind. Um, but the reality is, like I know, and now look, I, I, I appreciate fitness, I think it's a good thing, I think caring for your body is very, very important. For me, it, it, there's just some of the complications of um, parenting a young family and working a full-time job, like it's just finding time to do that where you're not absolutely exhausted. Um, but, so what I know for me is though, for me to lament the fact that, oh, I'm just not, I'm no fitter than I was two months ago, or you know, my physique hasn't changed than it did two months ago, but I've got the gym membership. Like, so th this gym isn't working for me. <laughs> It's like, well, no, I'm, I'm not putting in the work. I'm not putting in the effort. So I'm actually not, I'm not sowing in the effort in order to reap the reward from that. So there's a lack then in my potential fitness because I actually haven't put in the work to develop what needs to happen. And again, a gym membership, when you go to the gym, especially the first time, it really sucks. And then slowly week and session after session, it sucks just slightly less as you go along. And I'm sure you'll get to a point, maybe, when it doesn't suck at all, but I, I don't know. Ebony? Oh, it does, so there you go. It is, there's hope at the end of the tunnel. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's like, wow, to get to that place, it's gonna cost me a lot to get there. Um, but again, I, I feel like maybe in our perspective of our journey with Jesus is we're waiting for him to do things that he has called us to do. He's waiting for our partnership. Now, again, it's not then, oh, it's all your work and you've just got to try harder. You've got to work more. The Lord's saying, no, 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 my grace will partner with you, but you have to do more than just say, yep. There needs to be more than just your verbal agreement to something. There needs to be more than just on your knees saying, I want more of you, God, but I'm gonna wake up tomorrow and do exactly what I did last week and expect that somehow you're going to make the effort to change me. I want a deeper relationship with God. Okay, well, that would, might mean getting up earlier. Well, I'm not willing to do that. Then I don't get the outcome. <laughs> And I know I'm saying this is like one plus one equals two. I, I'm, I understand this might be, it's, this is the simplification for my own benefit. This is Brad Joss preaching to Brad Joss. Okay, so don't think, oh, well, it's different for you, Brad. You're a pastor and that ain't no different. I don't have more time. I'm sure I could utilize, you know, guilt-free my time during the day to read the Bible and pray and do all of that sort of stuff. But it doesn't, even that doesn't always happen. Because you, like you, there's people demands and life demands and things like that kind of going on that can draw your attention away. It's going to take the effort. You know, we can, we can do a journey and be faithful uh, when it comes to our heart journey and our sanctification journey and maybe get prayer ministry and we say, because there are some times where my desire for something is inhibited. It's bound by a decision that I've already made that's opposite to what I desire today. So again, this is in, in, as a child, I may have made a decision to, um, to not trust God. Now I'm an adult and I'm, I'm not even aware of that decision that I made. I'm like, I just wanna trust you, God, but no matter how hard I try to trust you, I just can't trust you. And it's because I'm bound by 
a vow that I made to never trust God from my childhood. So we can go through then that process and deal with that. And I repent for my judgment, for my vow, and the bondage is broken. So now all of a sudden I'm free. It's like being I've been trapped in a prison. Now, God has come and he's opened the prison door. I've repented and God said, the prison door is open. But I still have to get up and walk out the prison door. And depending on how long I've been in prison, how, um, what do they call that, uh, institutionalized I've been. And this is, I think, the reality that oftentimes we are, we are, our habits are like being an institutionalized prisoner. If you've lived in bondage for 30 years, you can't expect that you're going to now just go and integrate into new life and just be like, oh, that's easy. Because you're, you're used to a way of life. You're used to a, a rhythm of how things operate. You're used to not having to worry about certain things and having to worry about other things. And yet all of a sudden you're released from captivity, but you still have to get up. You have to walk out the prison door, out of the gates of the prison, into the big wide world, and then start to live very, very differently. And maybe live in a way that you've never known before. It's going to be unfamiliar. It's going to be scary. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. You're going to obviously need support and the, and the presence and power of God, but it's going to require that movement out of that place. So we might say, well, I've, 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 had, I've had prayer ministry and nothing's changed. Anyone ever had that feeling before? Just me, good. Um, <laughs> and the reality is, well, I had prayer ministry and nothing changed because I didn't make any changes. I've just carried on in the same habits, carried on with the same perspective, and nothing's different. The real work of prayer ministry doesn't come in the hour or three hours or however many hours you spent in that prayer ministry time. It comes after that when you actually now start walking out the new life. That's the hard work. That's the hard bit. Now, where you couldn't live that new life because you were in spiritual bondage, you are now able to live that new life. But if we're now looking, well, God, you, you broke the chains of my bondage. Now, where are you doing all the work of change and transformation? Because I'm waiting for you to partner with me. Well, God, I don't know how to walk. That's, that's okay. But you imagine if, if someone was in an accident and they needed to learn to walk again. The, I, I, I don't imagine, I've never been through that. I don't imagine that the, the physical therapist grabs them by the hair and starts dragging them up and down the room to teach them to walk again. Come on, here we go, going for a walk. You know, with you just dragging behind. I've literally, I think I've dragged one of my kids through the shops like that, you know, <laughs> with their arm. It was kind of a laugh, like then you were, were joking, but just, you know, to see people's, um, you know, looks at you like, what are you doing? The kids just, eh. Um, but you know what I mean? It'll be like, okay, no, it's, it, you come in the chair and it'll, we'll give you some handrails and we'll, we'll stand you up and we'll, we'll take one step and there's a, there's a movement and it's, and it's unfamiliar and it's new and it's awkward, but there's a partnership, okay? The person has to actually do the work of as much energy as they can muster to stand, as much energy as they can muster to move one foot forward and the other foot forward. And the other person's there empowering them and encourage them and, and moving them forward. But that's what it takes for us in our journey with Jesus. When you come into newness of life with God, you are going to do things and he's going to invite you to do things that you have never done before. You've never known. You've never known and you don't know how to live in those ways. 
When we come into freedom, what we're doing is, I don't know how to live in freedom. I don't know in, how to live outside of captivity. So I could just then stay in my cell. The door's wide open. Freedom is just out there. And yet I can stay stuck in the same place that I was at. Because I'm not willing to stand up and put my small amount of energy partner with God's huge amount of energy. One Corinthians chapter nine, verse twenty-four to twenty-seven says, "Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it." This is the Apostle Paul saying, "Run hard with Jesus." Every athlete exercises self-control in all things; they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And Paul creates this picture of, of, of an athlete training and running and giving their fullness. You'd have to be a superior athlete to not put in 100% and win every time. Like that would be a natural form of athleticism that, I don't know if anyone really has. But you put in 100%. I know my brother, my oldest brother, uh, does rally driving. And, uh, and he's, I mean, he's not a, a boisterous, out there, on the edge, crazy kind of person, except when he's behind the wheel of a car. Um, but that's, you know, when I talked to him about it, and he's like, you know, that's to win a race, you have to drive on the edge of crashing. And literally the person who wins is the person who gets so close to the edge of crashing their vehicle and doesn't crash, they'll be the one that wins. And that's why in a, in a race, if you have 50 cars in a race, maybe 30 of them will finish. And the rest will have mechanical failure or they'll wipe out and take out a tree, something like that. You know, it obviously varies every time. But that's what it looks like to, to win a race. You've got to, you've got to be right on the edge, pushing your car to the limit, pushing your skills to the limit as fast as you possibly can get around that corner. But we can't live back from the line. And again, I think where we have um, preached and been taught so much to avoid striving or to avoid salvation by works. It's not by works, it's by grace. And we've, we've pumped that message so hard and again, because it's so familiar for us to work for, for that reward, but we've pumped it so hard that it's almost caused the church to not really work for anything. Because again, we're not working for our salvation. We're not working to, to win the reward of, of if I try hard enough, if I'm a good enough person, then one day God will accept me and I'll go to heaven. We're not working for that. We know, no, Jesus has paid the price for my eternal life. But now that I know that I've won that reward, I want to live giving the fullness of every part of my energy. You know, the Bible says those who have been forgiven much love much. That's the woman who poured out, and we, we sung a bit of that in free worship, you know, who poured out the perfume on his feet and, and you know, cried upon his, on Jesus' feet and washed his feet with her hair. And that was his response. Like, that's, that's a woman who knows that she has been forgiven much. 
But that's what we must take as we understand I've received this acceptance from God. So I want to give every part of who I am to run after Jesus and to give the fullness of my excellence, of all of my energy to honor Him because of the way that He has loved me so passionately and so deeply. So we don't, we're not working for our salvation, but, be, but from that position, that foundation of salvation, we are working so hard, as hard, and yet for the reward of just pleasing Him and honoring Him and loving Him. And again, it's a different, it's a selfless motivation. You have loved me so much, Jesus, that I want to give all of my love back to you. And what's the reward for me? Well, the, my reward isn't in loving him. My reward is I've already received it all in being loved by him. And yet, there is always a reward of loving God. So when it comes to his grace, his power, we read in uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 to 10. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So again, we understand grace being the empowering presence of God. He says, therefore I'll, I will boast, this is the Apostle Paul, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So Paul's saying, I will boast in my weakness. He's not saying, I will wallow in my weakness. I will complain about my weakness. I will curl up in a ball and sob because I am so weak. He says, no, I'm going I'm to boast those things because I know where I'm strong, but those things where I'm weak, I'm going to boast about them. I said, I'm so weak in this era because in that place of humility, there's an invitation for heaven to come. There's an invitation for the grace of God to come and empower him in those areas. Paul knows where he's strong, but he also knows where he's weak. But his weakness doesn't disqualify him. What he's saying is my weakness, partnered with God's power, qualifies me in every area. And he's talking about, I mean, I don't know where Paul's writing this letter from, 2 Corinthians. I don't think he's in prison, but who knows. Um, but he goes through the record of the things in one of, the, one of his letters of, you know, I was shipwrecked and beaten and stoned and, you know, I say not the good, the, you know, the bad, both stoned is bad, but the really bad stoned, you know, like rocks and all that sort of stuff, you know. And it's like, it's horrific things that he has journeyed through. And yet he's saying, like, so Paul's not one that's kind of shying back. I'm just, I'm just a bit weak. When he goes and preaches, you know, to the Corinthian church, he talks about, I came to you in weakness. And I came to you not with, you know, eloquent words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit that your faith might not rest in man's wisdom, but in the power of God. So Paul knows, I come in weak, but I know God's power partners with my weakness. So he is not saying, oh, I'm weak, so I can't do it, Jesus. He's saying, I'm weak, so I give you my weakness, Jesus, as a partnership between my weakness and your power. I give my natural, God adds his super, and then we have supernatural. It's a partnership together, but he's not, and oftentimes how much we disqualify ourselves. 
from doing the things that God would call us to do. And it might be a simple thing. Praying for somebody. Sharing a word of encouragement. It might be a little thing or it might be a huge thing. Whatever it is, we can disqualify ourselves. And yet, as the Apostle Paul says here, there is no disqualification. If you say, well, I'm weak in that area. So what? Give him your weakness so he can pour out his strength. Now, if you say, I'm weak, so therefore I can't do, what I'm saying is, I'm weak and it all depends on me. So until I'm strong in that area, I will do nothing. And God's saying, no, no, do give where you are strong, do that as with all your might as working for the Lord. And where you are weak, do that with all of your weakness. <laughs> and let God partner with you to bring about his plans and his purposes and accomplish what he has. So you have no excuse, is, is kind of what I'm saying. Whether you're strong in an area or you're weak in an area, God's like, give me both, give me your strength, give me your weakness, and I will partner together with you to bring about my purposes. You know, it is, a, it is a rhythm in the kingdom to work and to rest. So again, I'm not saying working as in striving. I'm not saying, all right, it was 24 hours a day, seven days a week, work, 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 work for Jesus. Nothing like that at all. There is a rhythm of working and resting, but there is also the, the foundation of the kingdom, which is working from rest. So when we enter into his rest, when we get rid of, and oftentimes when we deal with our, our striving, our performance orientation, our, our shame, and our, all of those unhealthy heart frameworks, we actually get free to come in and go, I am just free to love you, Jesus, and I don't, I don't, need, to, I don't need to do anything to make you accept me. I'm fully accepted. I'm fully loved. There's nothing I need to do that's going to get me into heaven or get he like I'm just I'm just fully loved and fully accepted by you. Wow, that's a really good foundation to start from. And that's the foundation of Christ. It's a foundation that he has laid. And then Jesus, says, okay, so now what are you going to build on that foundation? I'm the foundation. Christ is the cornerstone. Don't build on another foundation. You know, there's that scripture that says, you know, a foolish man builds his house on the sand, a wise man builds his house on the rock. It doesn't say a foolish man just lays about on the sand and the wise man just lays about. No, he builds something. Jesus is talking about building. What are you building and what are you building that building upon? If you're building it upon a shaky foundation, as in not the rock of Christ not who you are in Christ, not what he has done and all of his accomplishments. If you're building on the wrong, then what you build will crumble eventually. But he's not saying, hey, I've built a house for you. No, he's saying, no, I've, I've laid a foundation for you. Now build upon that. Put in the hard work. And it's me, we're gonna do it together because you're filled with my spirit, but you're gonna be the one putting in work. Grace empowers our work. And our work doesn't negate God's work, and God's work doesn't negate our work. When I'm saying, okay, well, you do today, Jesus, and I'll, I'll, I'll do tomorrow. It's like, no, no, we're partnering together in everything, every day. I wake up and say, I, I'm weak today, Jesus. It's okay to say that. But you know, sometimes, maybe it's just me, that I wake up and go, oh, I'm just, I'm just weak, so I won't. Rather than I'm weak, so I'm just going to do it weak today. 
like he's, he's okay with the two coins that you have. He's okay with your little. I think about the, you know, the, the multiplication miracles, but you know the boy that comes with the five loaves and two fishes. And I don't know what he was thinking when he gave that to the apostles because surely the boy could see there's 5,000 men here, so women and children more than that. I'm sure he was old enough to know <laughs> this ain't, this ain't going to be enough. And yet he, he brought it, and I wonder maybe because he, he maybe had an inkling because he was a child, not an adult, so he had faith that hadn't been robbed from him, you know, that he brought and said, oh, well, this is little, but Jesus can multiply it. And that's what, you know, we often use that language, but, you know, as a church, we're loaves and fishes people. But that's, that's kind of irrelevant. But if I'm a loaves and fishes person, well, I've only got five loaves and two fish, so I... I'm just going to keep it for myself and not do anything with it. It is only when it's handed over that it's multiplied. It's only when it's yielded that the miracle can happen. The miracle of multiplication didn't happen. Jesus didn't say, oh, it's okay. I know someone out in the crowd somewhere probably has some, so I'll just start multiplying that. It was when it was brought forward and presented to him, said, cool, now we can have a feast. Because he added his super to that natural. Again, he didn't make fish fall out of the sky and bread just appear in people's hands. He took what was given and he multiplied. We can work without God and we'll get the results of our human effort. When we partner with God, we get the results of his efforts combined with ours, our little and his maximum. And we get to do it with him. That's the ultimate benefit of partnership with God is that we get to enjoy the partnership with God. We get to enjoy the working together with him. That he doesn't send us out on, his, on our own. His promise is, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. My spirit literally has made its home in you. So we're going to go out together. So you wake up and you're feeling weak and God says, I'm not far away. You don't even need to come and find me because I'm right here. I never left. I didn't go home last night when you went to bed. I stayed with you the whole night, dwelling in the little temple that I've made in you. The greatest benefit of partnership with God is the partnership itself. That's the joy. That's the delight. God's not cross waiting for me to get it right. He's delighted that we get to get it right together. We're moving towards that place. And again, part of that process is the yielding of our will. Yielding is always a posture of the heart. I know in, in America they have stop signs, which are, they say yield is instead of stop, um, which isn't helpful for this analogy because I think that's not really what it means when God talks about yielding. He's not talking about stopping. He's talking about handing over. And we yield our will. That was Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will be done, but your will be done. And then what did he do? Did he give up? Well, look, it's not my will. It's your will be done. I'm just going to sit here in the garden, do nothing. Nope. He got up and he endured the cross for the joy, the hope, what he knew was on the other side of it. He went through all of that. But literally, he didn't want to do it. 
Jesus didn't want to go through the agony and the pain and experience all of those things. It wasn't his desire to experience that, the cup of God's wrath. But he knew it was God's will. So he yielded his will to the Lord's. Which didn't mean then God says, ah, oh, cool, I'll cover it for you, Jesus. God didn't say, well, then, cool, now that you've yielded your will, I'll substitute myself and I'll go hang on the cross for you. He said, now that you've yielded your will to my will, you can endure the cross. You can endure the hardship in order to receive resurrection life. In order that our children can come into relationship with us and live in that resurrection life. And this partnership with God, I think it's important to acknowledge that it's all parts of us need to partner with God. It's body, soul, and spirit. And I think for some of us, you know, we might find working hard when it comes to physical stuff, yeah, I can do that. But maybe not as willing to work as hard on the emotional stuff or the spiritual stuff. Or we might find it easy, man, spiritual stuff, I can just spend hours and pray, I love the spiritual stuff. But when it comes to dealing with relationships with people and the brokenness, I'm like, oh, that's just too much work, too hard work. So I'm going to go into the prayer room. Or maybe it's like, oh man, when it comes to doing relationships and all that stuff, oh, love that. Can't do that for all many hours in the day. Love just relational heart stuff, connecting with people. But like looking after, you know, going to the gym, eating healthy, getting enough sleep. Oh, that's too much work. Or, you know, spending time in prayer, whatever it is. Now, I know you're all going, he's talking to me. Oh, wait, no, he's talking to me. Oh, wait, he's talking to me. Yeah, well, I'm talking to all of us. I'm talking to me three times in a row. So, um, <clears throat> that's really what I'm saying. But you know what I mean? Like, what's intuitive for us, that will be the part of our journey with God. That's the ease part. And yet, if we only do what's easy, we'll never, we'll never grow in the fullness of what he has for us. And so it's going to be like, yeah, I just, I, the whole, like I get relationships, I can, I can look after myself, I can eat healthy, but man, spending time in prayer, oh, that's just hard. So? Did you think it was going to be easy? I think when the one that you're following had to be crucified to accomplish his work, I'm thinking, oh, look, I think whatever I have to do, it's probably going to be less than what Jesus had to endure. Now again, people in other countries suffer similar fates to what Jesus suffered. Not the whole weight of the sin of the world, but, you know, horrific uh, martyrdom and all of that sort of stuff. But you know what I mean? Like if we wake up, it's like, oh, I'm just too tired to pray today. Like do we realize who we're talking to when we say that? Like we're telling Jesus, I'm just too tired. And Jesus said, yeah, you know what? I, I know what that feels like. I was in a garden one time with, with such pressure and anxiety that blood was seeping and mixing with my sweat. And I didn't, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to go and endure the cross. But you know why I did it? For you. And the thing is, we get rob we're robbing ourselves of the reward of that hard work and that investment. So again, our agreement doesn't automatically equal movement. It's going to take some standing up and the one step at a time. 
and there's no shame in how long it's been that we've been stuck. There's no shame in how long it's been that I've just been sitting in the wheelchair, not willing to take that step, that I've just been waking up and going, oh, I can't be bothered today. Like, if you're feeling shame, I just pray that off you in Jesus' name. Again, as even as in the worship time, this is an invitation for you to experience the more of God and to come into partnership with, you're not gonna be alone in it. When you wake up and you say, I'm weak, or when you're going to bed or whatever, in any moment during the day when God's calling you to step into the more of what he has for you, I'm scared, I'm weak, I'm tired, I'm whatever it is, take those things and bring them before the Lord and saying, it is so embarrassing, Jesus, that you endured the cross and I won't endure 15 minutes of prayer or Bible reading. That's, that's, that's pathetic. And I'll give that to you, Jesus. I feel pathetic right now, Jesus. I feel, I feel ashamed of the fact that, that I wouldn't even be willing to do that. But I bring that to you as an offering to say, this is my heart, Lord. To... to Go any other, it's, I'm only going to fool myself because he sees it. He's always seen it. And he sees more than what you see. You might think, oh, I know myself. And God's like, no, you don't. Um, thankfully, probably. But it's, a, it's an invitation to bring your weakness to God. And they go, you know what? Man, I suck at prayer. I am so weak in prayer. And every day I get up and I bring my weakness in prayer towards the Lord. He's like, oh, thank you that you've given me that which I can multiply. We, I can work with that. If you want to keep all of your weakness and I'm just only going to operate in my strength, then I'm going to remain weak in every other area of my life. And I don't want that. Last little scripture, Luke 14, 25. It says, now great crowds accompanied Jesus and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation, is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple." That's the words of Jesus. I get the feeling when I read the words of Jesus, he wasn't very seeker sensitive in his approach. It wasn't a wide road, it was the narrow road. It was the cost of discipleship. And I think unfortunately, maybe in modern Christianity, we've actually been robbed of the blessing of the cost of following him. And we've settled for something less. We've settled for Christian activity. We've settled just for principles rather than his presence. We've settled for 
intention rather than intimacy. And we've been robbed. And I believe that God is wanting to restore. And I, I, I have a sense that even moving forward, this next season that God is leading us into is going to be a season of cost, great cost, and yet great reward. Because with the great cost, there will be a great reward. The greatest of that, which is more of him. But I'm not sure that we're going to receive the reward that he has for us unless we're willing to count the cost of, of going after that. You join me in prayer. Why don't you stand with me, if you can be bothered? Oh yeah! Oh. Sit. I will sit just to spite you. Then no, I know you are free to sit. I will not judge you for sitting. That was a joke, people. Line up. Gosh. <sighs> hmm. Thank you, Jesus. We come before you now, Lord, with our loaves and our fish. Or maybe, Lord, we feel like it's a, it's a loaf and half a fish. Maybe it's, I've got a crumb and, and one bone, yeah, a scale. That's all I got, Lord. But we thank you, Lord, that you, you make beautiful things out of the dust. You take our little and you multiply it into greatness, Lord. You take our weakness and you make us strong. But you invite us into a partnership with you, Lord. That's your desire is oneness. And when we come into oneness, we can't even differentiate between what's me and what's God. But it's us. You invite us into the us. So, Lord, when it comes to our relationship and our journey with you, it's an us journey. It's not a me over there and you over there waiting for me to figure it out. Come on, get a grip. It's us, Lord. It's us together doing the journey. It's us together doing the journey of change and transformation. It's us together doing the work of, of reconciling and healing relationships. It's us together growing and thriving. And Father, the fact that you would choose to be on our team baffles me, Lord. But you do. And you add all of your fullness to all of our lack. But Lord, you invite us to work with you, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it is you who works in us to will and to work for your good pleasure. And Lord, when we are satisfied in you, you are glorified in us. So we thank you for the invitation, Lord, that there is no condemnation, God, but this is an invitation into the more of you. And we say, yes, Jesus, with the little offering that we have. And maybe we've been Christians for a long time and we look at the fruit that's come out and we go, Lord, this is it's really not much. And you say, it's okay, just give me what you have and I'll multiply it and I'll transform it and I'll expand it and I'll add my strength to it. So we thank you for your grace, Lord, but we thank you that your grace works in partnership with us, Lord. 
thank you, Jesus. We thank you for the finished work of the cross, that there is nothing more for us to do to receive your acceptance, Lord. But we stand here today, fully accepted, your beloved children, God. And you invite us into the more of that oneness relationship with you. And we say, Lord, we'll, we'll count the cost. We'll count the cost. Even just a facing up to our weakness, Lord, we'll count the cost. Because the reward will be far greater than the hiding. We thank you for your love. We bless you. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen.